Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. I shared with you in this past week's e-news a a few uh, isms that I grew up with, um, or grew up hearing at least. You know, it's the pot calling the kettle black. That's slicker than hair on a biscuit. Uh, You know, what are some what are some of the isms that you grew up with? What what are some that that came from your home, your your upbringing, your home life, or that you heard as a kid? Finer and frog hair. What else? Too early in the morning to admit. Or, or some, some aren't for public consumption. Is that what that was about? Okay. Um, what's that? Cool as a cucumber? Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, a lot of folks don't realize that the blind leading the blind is biblical. That is scriptural. It's from a parable here that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 6. If you want to turn in your Bibles there. Um, my grandmother had... She was always coming out with some kind of quip, and she she could verbally set you in your place. I mean, just uh, so it came so easy for her, and she she would come out with these these little lines. Um, some of them, as I say, not fit for public consumption; others are. Uh, some of them were unique to to the situation and to us, but um, and they would always be doled out with a dip of snuff right here, had a little snuff in her lip, and she she did those barbs out at you, and, and you had to kind of listen really hard to, to make sure you heard what you heard. Um, but he's, Jesus here uses the blind leading the blind as a metaphor, as an illustration, to talk about judgment. And this, this entire parable is about judgment, but he's, he, he lays this metaphor in front of them to say, listen, you are blind yourself. How dare you point out someone else's blindness? And let's see in the context in which he uses that today. 30, uh, verse 37 of chapter 6 of Luke. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And he also told them this parable, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? Students are not above their teacher, but all who are fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say, friend, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. Judgment is, as I said, the context of what he's talking about here in in its entirety. And as I shared with you last week, as we've been walking through this study on the parables, the majority of the parables were, were, were directly directed to the Pharisees and indirectly directed to all of us. But they were in the audience where, where most of these parables were shared. And so most of the, the, the teachings, the, the, the stories, as, a, as I shared with you, a parable is a, is a heavenly story with earthly meaning. It's a spiritual story with eternal consequence. And so uh, it, 
coming into line with the fact that the Pharisees were, as I said, probably in 80% of the audience where these parables were told, he's talking more or less to you and I. They were church folk, they were churched folk about church things. And he dealt with them in, in ways that were really blatantly honest in some, in some instances. And so you and I as churched folk of our day, these stories are, direct, are directed, uh, relating directly to us. And so I hope we'll, we'll, we'll receive them in that light. Let's look at some things about judgment, some things that are characteristic in this parable, in this teaching about judgment. Judgment is, first of all, a give and receive process. It's a give and receive process. Look at 37 and 38 again. Do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. Judgment here, condemnation, and forgiveness. He, he, he links these three together. And he's saying they have an equal cause and effect. You judge, you're going to be judged. You condemn, you're going to be condemned. You forgive, you're going to be forgiven. It is is with equal measure you receive these things from each other. He's he's, he's talking in the context of man to man, not necessarily here in in these two verses, man to God, but rather man to man. So he says, "How, how dare you give one thing and expect another? If you give animosity, you're going to receive animosity. If you give love, you're going to receive love. If you judge harshly, you're going to be judged harshly. You will, from each other, receive the very same things you dish out and dole out. However, this is, as I said, with each other and not with God. But giving here, he totally, totally shifts a gear here with giving in verse 38. Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and poured into your lap. Um, giving is different. We, we receive here, contextually in this, in, this, in this verse, we receive always, he's saying, more than we give. If you're a giver, what you receive back, what you are given back will always be more than you give. Now, pastors often use this in the context of money, in, in the context of, of giving financially, and it, and it is true of that. We, we cannot expect God to bless our, our financial situation that we have in our home or in our life or in our world if we're not willing to give back to him a tithe, an offering. If we're not, if we're not giving, we were, we were not, again, see, see his blessing in abundance over and over and over again. But story after story of, of and, I, and I could, if I opened the floor up today, I, I would hear, could hear or would hear some of your stories of saying, here's what God did with, our, with my money, with our finances, with our, with our home financial situation based on how he's blessed our, in, on our, in our obedience to give. Um, but giving is totally different. He says here that it's, it's, it's pressed down. It's, it's condensed. It's, it's shaken together to, to make sure all the loose parts settle down. Doesn't it frustrate you to go to the store and buy a bag of chips? And you bring the bag of chips home and you open it up and it's a bag this tall. And the chips start down here in the bag. Now, they say on the back of the bag, you know, some settling will occur in packaging. They, they warn you for what you're about to get when you're open. But just once, I mean, just one time in my life, I'd love to open a bag of chips and the chips are all the way to the top, wouldn't you? It's, it's, it's compressed, it's, it's, it's shaken down, it's condensed, uh, by, it's sold by volume instead of by size, by weight. And, and, and I, know, I know settling happens. But what he's talking about here is, he said, we're going to get all, on, on the receiving end of giving, I'm going to press it in there to where, where you know, we're, we're, we're packing the back of the van for vacation. And, 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 and we're trying to find spots for this suitcase and spots for this, this hanging bag. And, and you're, you're trying to pack for vacation, make sure everything will fit. And, and some, if you're like us, sometimes you go on vacation, you couldn't get a piece of tissue paper in some place in the back. I mean, that's just how tight the things are packed. 
And he's saying, that's how, you, that's how you receive when you give well. When you give well, you, you receive in such abundance that you have room. You don't have room for anything else. You don't have room to receive anymore. I dare say most of us, doesn't, doesn't, we don't give that way. We don't give of our time that way. We don't give of our talent that way. We don't give of our treasure that way. It is, it is in part because we feel vulnerable when we give. And that's totally understandable because sometimes you give, you're not knowing if you're going to receive anything back, either from this individual or from the Lord or from life itself. So there's vulnerability in giving. I mean, we, we were exposed. We, we, we sometimes may even give sacrificially of ourselves and in, in secret, at least, expecting something in return, but wondering if that'll ever happen or not. And he's saying here, if you give, just give. If you just give in obedience to me, now, he's saying here that judgment and forgiveness and condemnation don't happen that way. It's a, it's a tit-for-tat deal. You, give what you, you receive what you give. But giving, it's altogether different. You give of yourself, you receive always more than you give. And, and, it's, and that's, that's, a, that's a great spiritual equation that every believer should know and live and put into practice. We always receive more than we give. Uh, some of that is physical. Sometimes it's tangible. You can, you can see it and put your hands on it. Some of that is spiritual sometimes in the sense that, that the Holy Spirit gives us a sense of peace and, and fulfillment that, that only he can bring to our heart as we give. And some of that's relational. However it is, however it slices in your life, giving is always an investment. We always receive more in return in how we give of ourselves. So it's a give and receive process, judgment is. Secondly, judgment is meaningless apart from motive. Look at verse 39. And he told him this parable, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? And he's using, as I said here, metaphor um, for this idea of judgment. What I think this goes to is the blind leading the blind. It goes to, he's saying to them, I understand your motive. I know your heart, but you can't see one another's motive. You can't see each other's motive for why they do this, why they said that, why they done something else. So because you can't see motive, you can just see the results. You can just see the behavior, the after effect. He's saying that you need to let, let the judgment belong to God and not to yourself. Why? Because we have impure motives even in, even in looking at others in, in judgment ourselves. We often judge others, do, do we not, to help ourselves feel better about ourselves. I mean, if I can look at your life and find some flaw in your life or some flaw in her life or some flaw in, you, in, your, in your terminology or your, your vocabulary or your decision-making or what you do with money or your marriage or your kids, if I can find some flaw in your life, I feel better about myself. So oftentimes judgment is not so much to put the other one down, but to elevate myself above their circumstances, their decision-making, their ideas, their minds, their hearts. So our, our own motive comes into play here, and their motive comes into play here. It's a twofold deal that he's talking about here in the blind leading the blind. It's their motives for doing what they do. We can't see them. And our motives for judging in the first place. We can know them and should. Uh, so the, the, he's saying here, you, you will both fall into a pit. You are both equally guilty of a motive issue. You don't know theirs and I know yours. So getting to motive only, only judgment is a, is a, is an issue that that's, we, we need to get to the heart of and the heart of judgment is motive. Why have, why are we passing judgment the way we are? Sometimes it's environmental. Sometimes we grow up in homes where everybody has an opinion. And, and everybody's willing to spout it and, and, and say what they think about him, her, that, this. And, we, and as we grow into adulthood, and especially as we mature in our faith, there should be this sense of, you know what? Sometimes a filter is a good thing, especially a verbal filter. You ever been around folks with no verbal filter? I mean, they think, and I mean, it's just out there, as raw as it may be. We need some filtration sometimes. We need to, 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 to sit back and process, okay, what have I just seen? What have I just experienced? And is that worth comment? 
can I bring, can I, can I share something that will add value? Or if not, if it's just another opinion, negative opinion about this, let me just keep that to myself and filter all that out. Motive is key in, in assessing this or coming to grips with this idea of, of improper judgment. However, he knows our motive. He sees our motive. He sees to the core, to the heart of who we really are, to the core and heart of who they really are, why that person said or did that, what they did, and why we stand in judgment of it. He knows and sees clearly to our motive. Hebrews 4 describes that. Listen to what he says in Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And we will. And motive will be revealed one of these days at the judgment seat of Christ. There will be two judgments. Not, not going to get into eschatology lesson here this morning, but there will be two judgments. There will be the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennium. And the Bema judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, uh, post-rapture. And that's the judgment where you and I will stand before Christ and be judged according to our works, according to what we did with what he gave us, basically. I don't know that I, that I am comfortable with that scene as it applies to me today. Because as I've shared with you before, my fear is that I'm going to stand before Jesus one of these days. He's going to say, son, here's what you chose right here. And here's what I had for you. Your faith helped you choose this. Your fear kept you here. Your, your anxiety, your, your, your ability to manage all of that kept you here. And here's what I had. And I, and I fear in that, that, that as well, some of these motives are going to be exposed too. Your own motive for doing this and that was about you. It was about your own idea, your own agenda, your own. And see, he sees to the motive. He, he, he by his word and by his spirit, and, and, and literally as we stand before him one of these days to receive that, he will understand because he knows. And we will understand because he knows that motive matters. It matters to us and it matters to him and it should matter to each other. Uh, it is it is at the core of proper and improper judgment is proper and improper motive. We need to get that. Thirdly, not only is judgment a give and receive process and is meaningless apart from motive, but, but judgment is a matter for the mature. It's a matter for the mature. Look at verse 40. Students are not above their teacher, but all who are fully trained will be like their teacher. All who are fully trained will be like their teacher. This verse implies that maturity and mileage, are, they matter when being able, being able to see to the core of something and being able to judge something accurately. Maturity and mileage on the, on, in our faith lead us to our ability to do that better. Um, and the more that we're taught, the more that he talks about the teacher not being above the student or the student not being above the teacher, the more that we are taught, the more that we are mentored, the more that we, are, the more that we see ourselves as a part of someone else's discipleship and in turn are doing that to someone else, uh, the more we are a part of that equation and that process, the less time we have to judge, the less time we have to look and cast doubt, uh, negativity in someplace else. And as I've shared with you before many times, we should see our lives of faith in, 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 in this arena of faith as a funnel, a funnel which we have someone ahead of us on the spiritual journey, someone with more maturity than us, and, and we can look around and find those individuals. They may be relatives, they may be a parent, a grandparent, a friend. We can find somebody more mature than us to sow into us, to go to for counsel from time to time and say, hey, I'm blowing this regularly. I need some help here. What do I need? How do I need to see this differently to, make, to have a different outcome? Because my outcomes aren't very good. 
Or am I seeing the right things here? Am I handling this situation, this relationship in the right way, this bit of money in the right way, my job situation, my vocation? We need somebody to go to from time to time to get counsel, to get wisdom, to, to glean from their maturity. By the same token, we need to find someone behind us spiritually on the journey that we can sow into as well. If we can see our lives as a funnel that we're receiving from someone else more mature than us, further along than us, and we're sowing into someone else behind us, it, it goes to this metaphor that I use oftentimes, like a sponge. We squeeze a sponge out into someone else's life. You know what? It's going to be dry and hungry again to go back to someone more mature than us and say, hey, I need to be filled up again, whether that's here on Sundays, whether that's in, a, in the context of a community group, in a book, from a person. We're going to say, I need the sponge filled back up because I'm, I'm squeezing that out into someone else's life. My life is being funneled into someone else, and so I need filled up again. I'm hungry again all over. And so... A person who is in a process of maturity will see those things and be involved in those things. Why? Because not only am I hungry to grow in my faith, I'm hungry to sow that into someone else's life. And that maturity process that I see gleaning from them and giving to them, that process that I see is is a process that is not only biblical, but it comes. I, I, I come out the end of that saying, I don't have time for judgment. I don't have time for my eyes and my mind and my heart to be in the wrong place towards someone else because I'm too busy focused on where am I with God? Where am I in my relationship with Him? And, and am I growing in that? Or am I where I was 20 years ago? Have I been a Christian 50 years and I'm in the same place I was when I started? Maybe a little more. I may know a few more verses and, and I've, I've lived out, I pray a little better. I've lived out a few more uh, uh, processes of maturity in my life. But am I no longer, am I, am, have I, is my growth process, I'm certainly growing more physically, maybe more out than up. But I'm certainly growing more physically. Am I growing spiritually at the same rate? Or am I, have I re, even have I regressed in my spiritual existence? It's, it's, a, it's a process for the mature. Why? Because the teacher helps us see who we, are, who we really are. A, teacher will, a good teacher will always tell us the truth. Not what we need to hear or what we want to hear, but rather what we need to hear. A teacher will be honest with us. Uh, and, and, and secondly, because the mature understand that it's God that sees to the heart. It's God that sees to the motive, not me. Let judgment be in his hands, not in mine. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's altogether vitally, vitally important. It's a matter for the mature. And if we're growing in our faith, we won't have time to judge someone else's faith. It's that simple. It's not only a give and receive process and meaningless apart from motive, but look at this, look at this fourth thing together. Judgment is always a matter of perspective. Judgment's a matter of perspective. Look at what he says in 41 and 42. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say, friend, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you'll clearly see to remove the speck from the other person's eye. A speck of sawdust versus a plank. Jesus is using absurdity here to demonstrate the absurd. He's using something that's radical to demonstrate something that's radical. Something that might have even drew, drew laughter in his day. I mean, when he come out with a, you know, you got a two by four sticking out of your eye, and you're looking at a speck of sawdust in someone else's eye, and you've probably got a few chuckles out of that. But he's using absurdity to, to, to illustrate how absurd it is for us to try to judge someone. That's something that God is, is left for God to do. Um, how dare we judge someone else's faults as being worse than our own? Um, and in fact, we we often don't see our own because we've lived with them so long enough. We've gotten so long. We've gotten used to them. Um, it's kind of like, you know, telling yourself in your twenties or your thirties, I'm going to get back to, I'm going to get, I'm going to stop wearing 38 pants. I'm going to get back to the 34s. I was in high school. Well, that's a great goal to have. 
But if you're still in your 40s and 50s and, and you know, your mileage is moving in the other direction, and maybe your waistline's moving in the other direction too, but the mileage is moving in the other direction, guess what? That goal is less and less and less and less achievable the further you go. And so the idea here that, that we've, we've, we can't see the forest for the trees, we can't see our own, we, we can't come to grips with, our, with the honesty that my waistline's going in the opposite direction. And we get used to it from the standpoint, okay, we'll just buy bigger pants to be more comfortable. And, and so we can't see our own faults uh, and, and because we see them every day. And we're, we're more readily to adapt to see someone else's faults because they're a little bit foreign to us. They're, they're not as familiar to us. And so we grow accustomed to our own issues and accustomed to our own problems and accustomed to our own weaknesses. And yet we see those readily in someone else. In a, in a, in a, in a physical mirror, we have to be honest with who we are. And because we can't run from the fact that we're, you know, fat or ugly or have a pimple on our cheek. or We can't run from the fact that it's there. It's staring us in the mirror. In a spiritual mirror, though, we should not look for ourselves so much as look for the model of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Because I fear sometimes that in a spiritual mirror, when we're looking through in a spiritual mirror, we'll see someone else and their behavior. And compared to their behavior and their faith, I'm okay. I'm pretty good. I come to church. I, I throw some things in the plate. I pray every now and then. I open the Bible every now and then when it's crucial. When I'm at a crucial place, I'm okay compared to them. And looking through a spiritual mirror, though, and looking at life through a spiritual lens, we should see the model and not them. We should see him instead of them. I fear that's in reverse sometimes, that we, we put ourselves in a spiritual plane of, of, of comparison. This idea of self-comparison becomes, it becomes a behemoth after a while. And, and it's something that's, that becomes hard to manage. And we're, we're, we've got plates spinning. We're trying to figure out how do I make all this work? How are they making it work? What do they do? Oh, their plate fell. Yes. Or they, they, something crumbled in their life. Yes, I feel better about myself. Celebrating another's failures rather than seeing our own situations. I go, Wait a minute. I need to look at myself in the, through a spiritual lens and in the spiritual mirror and see the Savior and his model instead of their models and, and, and trying to figure out, am I okay based on them? Is that easy to do? No, it's not. Because the enemy wants to take us day after day after day. He says, you know what? You're not who you used to be, but you're not them. You're not what you need to be, but you're not him. That's exactly how he works. And so if we understand that, and we understand the nature of how he comes at us, would it not be wiser to, to, to either whether we do that in Scripture or whether we literally do that in the mirror and say, God, I, I want to see you today. As I'm looking at my life, I'm looking at my world, I want to see through your lens. I want to see people the way you see them. I want, to, I want to process things the way you process them. I don't want to jump, be too quick to jump to conclusion or judgment about that. When I don't know the facts and I don't know their motive, I do know mine. And is mine so that I feel better about myself by dragging them down? If we we'll, if we'll look at ourselves honestly through a spiritual lens instead of a, a physical one, uh, we'll, it would be a lot easier to get the plank out because we'll see our own faults and we'll see our own inability to heal ourselves, our own inability to forgive ourselves and realize that... Um, we, it's only through him as we see him and we recognize I'm not him, <laughs> I need to get the plank out. Regardless of what's in someone else's eye, I see what's in mine because I see him and I compare myself to him. And that's not an, that's not an, that is a, it's a hard discipline to learn, but a worthwhile discipline to learn. It's hard to, to not get our eyes off of each other, or it's hard to get our eyes off of each other and see him. But once we, once we grow up in that discipline and we realize this is a process of maturity. It's my own maturity and my faith that, that I don't, I'm, I'm less concerned about judgment. I'm less concerned about others' motives. I'm less concerned about them, and I'm more concerned about me and my relationship to him rather than how I look in front of them.
And that is a hard discipline to learn, especially depending on how we've been raised and what we've been exposed to. If we're, if we're constantly been, been pointing fingers all our life, it's hard to pull them back in. But we've got to start somewhere. And I want to encourage you today to see uh, the need to grow in our faith to the extent that that's no longer relevant. It's no longer important. I don't really care. I care in the sense that I care about them, but I don't care about their failures. It doesn't make me look or feel better about myself. Why? Because I've got plenty of myself. I've got my own failures to own. I've got my own Jesus in the lens to see as I'm looking back from him. So it's a matter of perspective, and we need to realize we got issues. All of us do. Nobody's, nobody's perfect. Nobody was, um, well, except my wife, but nobody's perfect. Nobody was, was ever born that way. And so we're, we're, going to, we're going to need. We're going to need self-check. We're going to need to look in the mirror and, and, and find his spirit saying to us, hey, you're not all that, pal. You need to work on this and this and this. And this, this needs some work in your life, and, and, and you need to give this over to me, and you're holding on to this, and this is far more too important to you than it should be. And, and he reveals his spirit is faithful to reveal those things to us if we just seek him in that way. And that's hard because we're all broken people. The problem, though, is we need to stop wallowing in our brokenness. We, need, we realize we're broken, we're, we're, whether we're financially broken or, or maritally broken or relationally broken or vocationally broken. or we're, We all experience brokenness at some point. But to stay and wallow in that brokenness is, he's saying here, is, is something we need to, to move beyond, something we need to get ourselves out of. We need to recognize our blindness and stop looking at someone else's blindness and move on our own blindness to start to see again, to start to be honest again and see things for what they really are. Um, it's, in fact... It's crazy, or, or uh, the 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 I'm I'm drawing a blank now on the word for recognizing the same thing and doing it over and over and over again, or the the absurdity of something that's failing over and over again. You you, you choose to do it over and over again. That that same idea of wallowing in our brokenness and being content to be broken is something that he's saying here. Listen, we got to move beyond that. And that is, that is others-induced, and it is also self-induced. We've gotten, gotten used to seeing our own faults. Um, but if we stay there, if we choose to stay there, that's our own issue. If, if we have exposure to, to Scripture like this and choose to stay where we are, we become, we become judges of ourselves and our own. We, we must answer for our own inabilities to move on, on truth and, and respond to it in the way that, that, that God wants us to. But if we see ourselves, though, not, not so much in our brokenness, but see ourselves in light of the fact of who the Lord says we are. Um, the enemy wants to remind us, as I said over, over and over and over again, of our brokenness and our inability and, and our past and guilt from all of that. But I'm, I'm really convinced what it takes to move beyond brokenness and see others in need of Jesus the same way we see ourselves in need of Jesus and not judge either way. To get there, we've got to see ourselves as redeemed people. We've got to see ourselves as the, one whom, the ones who he died for. He says in this book that, that we are washed spotless and clean, like as, as, as white as snow, he says, makes that comparison. If we see ourselves as clean, if we see ourselves as redeemed, if we, if we see ourselves as, as he sees us, and you see, as God looks at us, as the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, he, if, we, if we belong to Christ. He doesn't see our sin, he doesn't see our need, he doesn't see our brokenness, he doesn't see our judgment, he doesn't see our behavior. All he sees is the blood of Jesus. As he looks at us, he looks through a lens that Jesus is in between he and us. We're here, and he's here, and Jesus is in the middle. And as he looks at us, he's, everything is filtered by the cross. Everything is filtered by the blood of Christ. And he looks at us literally through bloodstained lenses. And because of that, he sees only clean people. 
He sees only redeemed people. He sees only those who have been washed clean. Now, that ought to matter in how we look at each other. How we, how we see ourselves, how we, see our, how we understand the process of redemption and the fact that it is, it's totally regenerated me and it's totally changed the way God looks at me. So if he looks at me that way, should I not look at others that way too? If he sees me as totally clean, should, the way I, should my outlook on someone else be changed? Yes, it should. And I'll never get there until I see me different. When I start to see me different, the way he sees me, it'd be far easier for me to see them different, the way he sees them. Um, it starts with ourselves. It starts with our own realization of what he's done for us and in our life. Well, good news and bad news as we close. The bad news first. Every believer deserves judgment. Every one of us do. Every one of us, uh, and I've used this illustration before because I believe it, and, and God pierces my heart with it regularly. I deserve, and you deserve, if you know Jesus, each of us do. We deserve, what we deserve is the back corner of hell, sitting in smoke, sitting in the flame, crying out for mercy. That's what we deserve. That's not what we get, but that's what we deserve. And I'm grateful we don't get what we deserve. We live in a culture of entitlement. Consequently, we feel like we deserve what is best for us. We deserve what, is, what they're getting or what they got or what he's... And so because of that, because we, some of us have grown up in and some of us have morphed into this culture of entitlement, we have, we have grown focused on me and my needs, and my world, and my satisfaction, and my glory, and my, and and the danger of that is, is when I start to see my own self, and I become honest with my own needs, and my own inabilities, and my own inadequacies, and my own failures, then I start to look at myself and see, in a lot of that honesty, God doesn't see me that way anymore. He sees me as redeemed. He sees me as his own. He sees me as cleaned up. He sees me as perfect and complete spotless. Scripture describes that, that view. Because he's looking at me through bloodstained lenses, I don't get what I deserve. Because my disobedience to him, since I've known him, deserves hell. My failure to him, since I've known him, deserves hell. But that's not what I get. I don't get what I deserve, and you don't either. And we should be grateful for that, because what we deserve is judgment. What we receive, though, is grace. What you and I have received in abundance over over and over again, probably over and over again yesterday, over and over again today, is grace. First John, or in John 1, 14 says, grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. Never ending. There's never, grace never runs out. Regardless of our disobedience, grace never runs out. Regardless of our attitudes, grace never runs out. Regardless of our failures, grace never runs out. He's saying what you receive from me is grace. What you deserve is judgment. How should that change how we view each other? Drastically. Why? Because once we realize we have received grace and didn't deserve it, isn't it far easier to give grace when they don't deserve it? Absolutely. If we see ourselves as undeserving of God's grace, yet here we stand in, in recipient, being a recipient of it day after day, moment to moment to moment, isn't it far easier to, to realize I'm unworthy of this, and they are too, but they deserve it of me. I don't deserve it of him. He's given it to me, but they deserve it of me because he's shown me grace. I can show them grace. In fact, it's impossible to do that apart from him, I'm convinced. We can show kindness, and, and you and I have seen the, the random acts of kindness, bumper stickers, and nothing wrong or evil with that. Please don't, don't take judgment upon that. But what really motivate, should motivate us to be kind to someone else is the grace that we've been shown from God and the grace then that we should in turn funnel into their life and into their world. Um, 
Well, our, our view of what he has done for us should totally change our concept of judgment. If we see ourselves as forgiven, if we see ourselves as clean, if we see ourselves as redeemed, if we see ourselves as those who have received grace, we're going to be far, it's going to be far easier on our part to give grace to someone else. Um, you've done that, and if you're a parent, you've done that with your kids. You've given them grace they didn't deserve. You know why? Because God's given you grace you didn't deserve. And in, in teaching that lesson, in, in imparting that into the life of your kids or into, into the life of a friend or into the life of, 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 your, of your mate or a loved one, there's, there's such a great inward lesson in that that we learn that is, it's incomparable. In fact, it's, it's hard to put words to. Of what this idea of, of giving grace and, and showing mercy does to this idea of, of this pressed down condensed, shaken together, compacted, running over, running into your lap. He says you can't, whatever you're holding it in can't contain what you receive when you learn to give grace away. You give judgment away, you get judgment in return. You give grace away, you receive far more grace. You receive far more than you've given away. That's an equation that sounds like, how do I sign up for that? And yet we choose to live in judgment instead of looking at others through a lens of grace. Uh, We need to see ourselves differently. We need to see ourselves as he sees us, and it'll be far easier to give others what they need, not what they deserve from us or what we deserve from them, but what they need from him, his grace through us. That's sometimes the only way they'll see him is the grace that you and I impart into their lives. That's hard to do in a judgmental world, isn't it? You and I live in a conditional, judgmental uh, world, and to, to walk in grace, to walk in forgiveness as opposed to judgment, you're going to look like a freak. You're going to look in this culture, in this world, like somebody that's just, what turnip truck did they fall off of? Why are, not, why, why, why are they living in la-la land? Why do they just see roses and, and daffodils and, and, and unicorns? We, we do that because of grace. It's not, it's not some, some kind of, uh, we're loving in and of ourselves. No, we, we don't have the capability to love apart from God, First John 4 says. God is love, and it's impossible to love apart from him. We don't have the capability to do that on our own. Why? Because he is love. We don't have the capability to show grace on our own. Why? Because grace comes from him. And so it's not us. It's not our ability to do that. It's, it's him through us. And so the more we see us differently, the more we'll see them differently. And, and our, our witness as, a, as, as the body, our witness as a, as a follower of Jesus depends on that. Would you rather hear, um, listen, I don't care what you've done. Grace is sufficient. I don't care where you've walked. God forgives. I don't care what you've done to me. I forgive. Would you rather hear that or would you rather hear, you need to get your life together. You need to suck it up and get it because you're, 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 you're heading down the road. And, and that may altogether be true, but which would you rather hear? You'd rather hear that a God that's given you grace wants it given too, wouldn't you? I do too. And so, like I said, you're going to stand out in, this, in, a, in a culture like ours to be a grace giver, to be a forgiver. That's next week's parable. We're going to learn some things, deep things about forgiveness. Um, but th- th- this is truth. We need to, to not only say, yeah, that sounds good, Tim. We need, it needs to be broken into our lives and imparted to other folks. Grace received and grace given. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.